taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. Good morning, Journey Church. Y'all ready to be in church this morning? All three of you. Listen, you got to do better than the nine o'clock because I'm not going to lie to you. It was like preaching to dead people. And I was like, we're about to raise some dead people to life or something. Somebody's going to have to like make a loud noise. I'm going to have to just like shout really loud or something. But I believe you guys have brought the energy. Uh, And so I'm going to do that one more time at all of our campuses. Y'all ready to be in church this morning? Hey, that's much, much more like it. Hey, my name is Jordan. I am honored to be with you here in church. Uh, If it's your first or your second time or you've only been in church for a handful of times, man, we're so glad, uh, first of all, that you came back. uh, And we're glad that God, maybe you don't even know it yet, but God's beginning to do something in your heart. Uh, I can tell you that I remember what it feels like to be in that position, um, that if you would have asked me at the time, why are you coming to church? I would have said, I'm not really sure. Um, but I'm here anyways, and God somehow was able to do something through that. And so I'm encouraged that right now at all of our campuses that we have uh, a good number of people who are joining us uh, for their first or second or third time. And man, if it hasn't been clear already, uh, you are welcome here in church today. That, that We are excited to be in church with you all. And here's what we believe about church. Church is not a museum, and maybe you love museums. Uh, you're a nerd, and so the rest of us think museums are boring. Come on, y'all. You need to wake up a little bit. Maybe you are a nerd and I offended you. I'm really sorry. But in church, we have fun. Uh, We enjoy ourselves and we grow together in the presence of God. And so that's what's going to happen here today. And so I just want to make you aware of a couple things real quickly before we get into it. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the Bible in a few moments. Uh, If you have your Bibles with you, you can open them. If you have your smartphones, you can go ahead and page to 1 Peter chapter 4. It's 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, For those of you who come into church and you know nothing about the Bible, or maybe you came into church and you know everything about the Bible, right? And you wrote a book yourself. Um, Wherever you fall in between, here's all we want you to know about the Bible today. That the Bible is the written, inspired word of God, and it has the power to change your life. Like, that is as simple as it gets. And so, if you've ever found yourself, if you're honest, praying something like this, God, if you're real, say something to me. Or God, if you're real, you better show up. God, if you're out there, show me. Well, the good news is uh, that he has. He wrote a massive book to you. It's called the Bible. We're going to read from it today. Uh, And what I believe is that even though it's going to be human words speaking it, uh, that the words of God, the words over your life, maybe that you've never heard before, uh, that they can completely change you. And so if it's not evident, I'm very excited about this because I've experienced it in my own life where, where there had been words of, uh, of depression, where there had been words of discouragement, um, where there had been, had been words of hatred that, that God, he flipped that when I began to understand what he feels about me and the way that he views me and how valuable I am to God. And that's what I believe is going to happen here today. And so if you would open to first Peter four, we're going to get to it in a moment. Um, we're going to go ahead and throw on the screens. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you might not know it, but you actually do. If you have a smartphone, you can text notes to 25827 and the Bible will be right there for you. And maybe you're a visual learner. I have some notes here I'll be talking from. You can follow right along with the notes today. Uh, again, by texting notes 
to 25827, and we'll leave that up there for just a minute so you guys can follow that. Uh, we're wrapping up a sermon series today that we've called One Man's Trash. If you've been with us in church, we've been doing this for three, now four weeks, uh, and kind of the idea that one man's trash is another man's treasure, right? It used to be, I don't know if it still is, but it used to be really popular uh, to shop at thrift shops, right? Because it was like, I'm going to find something unique. No one is going to have it. And even though it was trash to somebody, it's a, a, a gold mine for me because it cost me $2.50. And look how fresh I look, right? Like, that's the idea that maybe there's something you went through in your life that initially you would have said, this is a garbage time in my life. This is a trash moment in my life. But maybe somebody else has the perspective to see it as treasure, right? I have three kids, and so often I'll find myself thinking things like, why did I have three kids? And so I have to stop myself in that moment and remember, there's somebody in my life that maybe can't have kids that they would kill to be in my situation, right? That one man's trash is another man's treasure. And today I've titled the message, Old School Faith. Old School Faith. Uh, and the reason I've titled that is because we're going to read about some Christians today uh, that there's no other word for it. They just had what I have to call old school faith. And I think generations before mine tend to be better at having this type of faith th than maybe younger generations because they're really good at seeing opportunity where there are obstacles. Let me give you an example. I was on vacation about two weeks ago. Uh, and my father-in-law and I, uh, we really wanted to have seafood, um, but we don't live in a mansion, and we don't drive uh, Teslas, and so I'm just kidding, but like seafood is so expensive, and I didn't want to pay all that money because I'm Dutch, and so I decided we'll just catch our own seafood, right? Brilliant idea. Some of you are laughing already. You know where the story's going. Joke's on you. I did, right? I caught 12 crabs, right? A dozen crabs. For the first four hours, we caught nothing. And then Jesus spoke to me and said, cats, cast your crabbing basket on the other side of the pier. You guys are more Christian in this experience. You got that joke. And so I did. And literally within 45 minutes, we caught a dozen crabs. And I was like, this is awesome, right? Like I am literally putting food on the table. I am a champion, right? I texted my wife. I was like, you are married to a champion, right? Like, I could survive in the wilderness. And so we stopped at Walmart, and we got Old Bay, because uh, the Airbnb we were at was, was, um, was there's a nice way to put this, uh, but I don't have time to think of it. It was just kind of a dump. And so we were staying at a dump. I'm really sorry if you are our Airbnb host, but you already know, because we talked to you. So it was kind of a dump. We didn't have what we need, had no uh, Old Bay, and especially didn't have a pot to steam these crabs in, right? Because if you boil crabs, you need Jesus. That's the wrong way to do it. You steam crabs. And so I said, while we're at Walmart, why don't we pick up something so that we can steam these crabs? And my father-in-law looked at me, maybe he's watching now, uh, like I had suggested, hey, why don't we go shoot a man in the face? Like, and I was like, okay, you're not on board with that idea. Why? And he was like, that's part of the challenge. And I was like, okay, Confucius. I, like, I don't know what you mean by that. But I'm going to roll with it because the Walmart is four minutes away. And so if you can't figure something out, I'm going to come back here. And so we go back, and he's literally like real-life MacGyver. He is digging through the shed. There's a snake in the shed. There's drama. I'm running from the snake and screaming, right? It, but it's cool because I evened it out because I caught all those crabs like a man. And 
Finally, he comes out of the shed with like this uh, wire metal mesh thing. I can't even really describe it to you. I wish I had a picture. And he folds it in half, and he folds it in half again, and it fits right inside of this tiny little pot that they did happen to have at the Airbnb. And then one by one, he stacks 12 crabs high inside of this pot. I kid you not. I was like, they're not all going to fit. And he was like, just trust me. They're all going to fit. And they did. And we had crabs in the name of Jesus, right, for three days. I think maybe the generations before us tend to be better at seeing opportunity where we tend to see obstacle. And the reason that's important for today's message is because we're going to be talking about going through hard times, going through trials and persecutions. And we're going to read a story about Christians uh, who, if we're honest, we're probably going to feel a little bit spiritually silly when we hear the things that they went through and then we compare them to the things that we go through. But here's the point I want us to catch if you don't hear anything else today. The same type of old school faith that sustained the Christians we're going to read about to make decisions that are harder maybe than decisions we've had to make. That same type of faith is going to sustain us here and now in whatever circumstance we might find ourselves in to push through trials and persecutions. And so if you guys would, you can open to 1 Peter 4. We're going to be in verses 12 to 14. And before I read it, I want to explain to you what we're reading. Uh, This is a book of the Bible or a chapter of the Bible written by a man named Peter. Uh, If you don't know who Peter is, he was like BFFs with Jesus, right? Jesus, he walks on the earth. He does miracles for three years. You've probably heard of him. And then Peter is one of his three closest friends, right? And they walk the earth together. They, 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 they are the best buddies that anybody could have, right? And so Jesus, he, he's crucified. He's buried. He raises from the dead. He ascends to heaven. And he sends his disciples, including Peter, to go and tell everybody they know what they have seen. And Peter writes a book to a group of Christians about 30 years after Jesus has left the earth. This is in about 64 AD. And he writes to them kind of unbelievable words, if I'm honest to you. And and let me explain why. These Christians, for 30 years, uh, they have been kind of like we are now. They held church in, well, we don't hold church in the street because we would get yelled at, but they hold church in the street. They didn't really meet indoors. Everybody was cool with them being Christians. It's kind of like it is today for the most part. Nobody really cares that we come and we meet in here on a Sunday. Nobody is trying to shut us down. Um, Maybe Plymouth meeting, but we tend to be okay with that. And so inside joke for them. Um, But but for the most part, it's pretty simple to, to, to be a Christian, right? There's not a ton of what I would call persecution compared to what these Christians went through. And let me explain. In 64 AD... Or rather, let me just tell you through the lens of Bob the Christian, right? So I'm Bob the Christian, uh, and I'm a Christian in the year 64 AD. My, my family is all Christians. Um, you know, we get up, we go to work, uh, we catch crabs, right? Because that's what I do for a living. And nobody thought that was funny. And what happens is I, I, I get in a newspaper article the next day, right? A newspaper comes to my house, and I open it, and I read it, and tragedy has struck Rome. 64 AD, it's called the Great Fire of Rome. And what happens is somehow, and still to this day, you probably couldn't really find the cause, somehow a great fire breaks out 
in the epicenter of Rome. And it lights so much on fire, and the devastation is so great that the nation of Rome, it actually never recovers from it. The economy is shot. Uh, it, it, it's, it's awful. And at the time, the, the man who was in charge of Rome, the emperor, his name was Nero, right? Everybody say Nero. That's a funny name. Don't name your kid Nero. And Nero is smart. What he does is he recognizes that one of two things is going to happen after this tragedy. Either the people are going to blame him and revolt, and he'll likely be murdered, if not at least have to flee for his life, or he can find somebody to blame it on. And so Nero does his research. He finds a small group of people they're kind of unknown. Nobody really knows what they do. There was some weirdness that happened about 30 years ago with this guy that died, but then it sort of went away then, but there's still some people. And he comes out and publicly declares that the great fire of Rome is the responsibility of the Christians. And he begins to spread the rumor that there was this guy named Jesus. He was their leader. He said that he was going to overthrow Rome. They've been waiting and hiding for 30 years, planning this attack. And they, it's like 9-11. They devastated, these terrorists devastated the epicenter of Rome. And what goes on to happen is Bob the Christian, he begins to fear for his life. Why? Because it becomes common law that anyone could come to me, Bob the Christian, at any point and say, you're a Christian. And I could t be brought to court, and if found guilty, I would either go to jail or I would die, depending on where I lived. And then the catch-all of it is that when I went to jail or died, the person who accused me, who rooted me out, they would get all of my possessions and my family. And so it was a serious deal to be a Christian at this time. And so what does Bob the Christian do? He flees for his life. He leaves behind his home. He leaves behind his possessions. He gathers up his family in the night, and he heads to the hills and to the caves where he cannot be, cannot be found. And then we read what Peter writes to them, the audacity of Peter, right? Read with me, if you would, in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 14. He says this to those Christians, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Pause for a second. The pun is not lost on me, that they are being blamed for the fire of Rome. I don't know. Maybe Peter just has a good sense of humor. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal. See what he did there? That has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God, it rests on you. What the heck is Peter talking about? <laughs> I had to leave my home and go hide in a cave, and you want me to rejoice? Surely I have read this wrong, Peter. And I want to talk to you today about the old school faith that these Christians, these men and women, would have been forced to have to make the decisions that they made when they were confronted with their life or standing strong in their faith, they chose to stand strong even when it cost them everything. And my challenge to us is this. There will come a time in your faith, even though it may not require you to leave your home and physically move, there will come a time in your faith when it will take everything you have to continue in your faith 
in Jesus Christ. It just will. It's inevitable. And what I want us to learn today is what does it look like ahead of time to decide to have that old school faith, that faith that takes its beliefs to the grave, that faith that is unflinching and uncompromising, that, that, that doesn't back down in the face of trials and persecution. How do we have old school faith? I have three things for you today just to make it easy. The first one is this. To have old school faith, you need to view opposition as opportunity. I talked about this a moment ago with my father-in-law. And I think the reason we need to learn this is because when you face opposition, you have one of two choices. You can either run from it or you can fight through it. There's only, there's only two ways out. And these Christians would have understood this. And you want to know why? Because they had a choice. It would have been easy enough for them, you're a Christian. No, I'm not. Deep down, God, I still believe. Like, there would have been brothers and sisters and cousins and aunts and uncles of these believers that made that decision, that stayed behind, that stayed comfortable. And now Bob the Christian is living in a cave and he's saying, Peter, you want me to rejoice? I had to give up everything. Deep down, you, you start to question, did I even make the right decision? They had a choice. They could fight through it or run from it. Why does Peter tell them, why does Peter tell them to rejoice? When I was growing up, I had no less than four cats living in my house at any given time. And so it is the grace of God that I turned out as sane as I did. Some of y'all have cats in here. I can feel that. Well, then forgive me. Somebody said amen. Forgive me for what's about to happen. I harbor a, a righteous anger towards cats. Uh, and here's why. Because not only do they pee on everything, um, but the only thing they don't pee on is clean laundry. Because they're smart and they know. And they do it anyways. They're conniving. But I'll tell you this. I had outside cats. These are the type of cats that, like, they would come wandering across the lawn, like, haggardly missing an ear in the morning from the battle the night before that they had won, right? Like, you should see the other guy. And at least I could justify in my head, cats, we're just going to have to get along until I turn 18 and move out. But until then, I have at least a little bit of respect for you because whatever purpose cats have been put on this earth for, Killing mice and birds and leaving them strewn across the lawn, that was supposed to be part of it. Like, I was like, at least I can, because what I didn't respect is my friends, they had inside cats. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Pampered, brand name cat food, wear sweaters in the winter type of cats. Some of you know people like that. And I thought, you intrinsically have no value, inside cat. You want to know what real cats were created for? To live in the mountains. They would eat you if given the choice. And I thought, if there is a purpose for cats, this is a part of it. And here's why I think Peter says rejoice. He tells the Christians to rejoice because he says, listen, the opportunity that you're having right now in the midst of this pain, this trial, and this persecution is for your faith to be what it was put here for. I call it outside cat faith. That you were never meant to stay inside and be comfortable, and be pampered. If God just wanted you to be comfortable, he would save you, and then take your life, and take you to heaven, and you would be done. No, no, no. He's left you here for a reason. 
Our faith was designed to be risky and dangerous and bold and adventurous. We were supposed to take ground. I think Peter tells these Christians to rejoice because their faith was designed to be tested. Steve will say it often that a faith that's not tested cannot be trusted. It's just like you wouldn't get in a car that hasn't been tested by crash dummies. They said, oh, it's the best car ever. We didn't crash it at all. It's perfect. It's a perfect car. And you would say, well, what's the safety rating? They would say, upside down question mark. Like, we don't know. You would say, I'm not going to buy that car. Because something that is tested, it can be trusted. Can I read to you this verse that we've read throughout the entirety of this sermon series? I felt it was appropriate to end with in James. At the very beginning of his book, I'm going to read to you verses 2 to 4. But before I do, verse 1 just says, greetings. And then verse 2, he gets right into it, and he says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, Peter is not an outlier. Every single author of the New Testament tells us the same thing thing. He says, your faith has been put here for a reason, but rarely will you ever be comfortable. This is written by a man who would later go on to be filleted, that is his skin peeled off of his body so that he would maintain integrity to the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we can read it here today. Understand that type of old school faith, it's still accessible to us today. Maybe it looks like this. Maybe you get baptized, but you still have a baby mama and a new child in the mix. And there are times when it would feel much easier to just walk away from this Christian thing. And what do you do? No, you stand strong. You don't move. You push through the messiness. You say, Jesus, I don't know how I come out the other side of this, but I'm going to keep going. This opposition is the opportunity for my faith to do what it's been put put here to do. Maybe, Maybe you know God is calling you to give up something, and you don't understand all the reasons why. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? The Bible actually has a verse for this. It says, if you know what you ought to do and you don't do it, that is sin. In other words, it doesn't have to be black and white in the Bible for you to not be walking in the will of God. He says, if you can feel the Holy Spirit and he's telling you, you need to give that up and you refuse to give it up and you've made a thousand excuses. Why? Because you don't have all the answers. Can I just tell you, old school type of faith says, I don't need the answers. I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to do it scared, but I'm going to do it anyways. Maybe you're the odd one out at work because everybody goes drinking after work. And if you're honest, you're kind of getting tired of explaining to them why you don't. And it's starting to feel easier to just sort of shift with them. Now, that old school type of face says, I will not move to the left or to the right, the Bible says. Wherever you go, that's fine. I'm not moving. I am standing firm in what God has called me to do. Why? Because this is what my faith has been put here for. And I think Peter tells them to rejoice. If you read in this Bible verse, it says, because the glory of God will be revealed. That's a lot of church words, so I want to break it down for you. What it means is when your faith does what it was put here for, it affects people around you. They start to see it. 
Maybe the best way to explain this would be this. Uh, I have three kids, and at one point, I only had one kid. It's hard to remember those days. Those of you who have kids, you understand that. Um, and when I had just my daughter, Ellie, she was about uh, a, a year and a half, two years old, we would play a game uh, called Jump Off the Couch to Daddy, right? She would say, Daddy, big and strong. I was like, yes, he is. Don't look at any of the other daddies. Daddy will always be big and strong. And so I was like, jump off the couch to daddy, right? Jump off the couch. I- I'm going to catch you, right? And the first time, she was really hesitant. And if I'm honest, the first time, she actually didn't even do it. I just pushed her off, right? But then I called her, and I was like, daddy's got you, right? Who pushed you? I don't know, but daddy's got you. And then the second time, she did it a little bit less hesitantly. And then the time after that, she was a little bit more bold. And then by the fourth and the fifth time, it was all I could do to get home from work in the evening before she said, daddy, jump. Daddy, jump. And like just for hours and hours and hours. And I was like, what have I done? Right? But let me just tell you what happened. Then I had my twins. And when they were about 9, 10, 11 months old, they would watch my daughter Ellie jumping off of the couch. And can I just tell you, they learned to trust me in that long before she ever did. At a much younger age than she ever did. Why? Because her faith, it built their faith. They saw that I could be trusted, and they decided to trust me. The same thing is true in our walk with Christ. The first time that you're obedient, can I just be honest with you? You're going to probably be scared. The first time that you push through when it would be easier to turn around and run away, you're not going to like it. It's like going to the gym. If you like going to the gym, something's wrong with you. We pray for you every morning. When you go to the gym, it feels awful to get up in the morning. Let's just be real, right? It's so much easier. Snooze, snooze, snooze. Oh, it's too late now. I can't. It's a a pity, right? I'll go tomorrow. It feels awful to get up and do that. But can I just tell you, when you do it, you're so much better on the other other end of it. And then it begins to get easier. The next day, you're like, oh, I'm going to get swole. I'm going to get swole. Summer's coming up. It's a year away, right? I need a year to get this where it needs to be. I'm, I'm shedding the dad bod, the dad bod, I'm, I'm redefining it, right? And every single day, it becomes a little bit easier. It was the same thing with my daughter. As she began to trust me, it became easier and easier and easier. And guess what? As she had faith in daddy, it became easier still for people watching to have faith. That will be the case in your life. That it is the opportunity to be faithful And naturally, it affects those around you. When you live boldly and face opposition, your faith strengthens and you become closer to Christ. Can I just tell you what happens if you don't face opposition? And it's my second point. We need to view comfort correctly like these old school Christians did. Can I just tell you what happens? Most often, by default, we tend to side towards comfort. Like, if it's possible, I'd like, to be, I'd like to be comfortable, right? That's a dangerous way to live, friendo, because you will see it in about 10 years, right? People keep telling me, they're like, if you keep eating the way that you're eating, it don't last forever. And like, well, you're going to see it, right? Like, that is the case with comfort in our walk with Christ. When you pursue comfort, guess what happens? Your faith, it actually weakens, Here's why your faith weakens. Because that's not what it's there for. Your faith was never meant to be comfortable. 
Your faith was never meant to be easy. And can I just tell you, when you live that type of Christian life, it gets boring and faith becomes meaningless. You want to know why? Because it is. That is meaningless faith. If you don't do anything with it, it's meaningless. The more comfortable that you become, the less you actually enjoy life. Can I just speak to, to you guys for a moment at all of our campuses? Can I just be real with you? There's something I've noticed, a trend uh, in churches, where people who follow Jesus will often, in the same breath, post online articles that say things like, uh, why it's okay to be a Christian and have depression and anxiety all the time. And like my first thought when I read that is like, that's weird. Because I read in the Bible, the Bible says I'm supposed to not be anxious in anything, but pray about everything. And so it doesn't really pass that test. Can I tell you why maybe we deal with this? Maybe, maybe part of the reason we're so anxious, maybe part of the reason we're depressed is because there's a part of us deep down in our soul that knows what we've been created to do and we have not rose to the challenge. And so there's this tension in our soul that remains unresolved. I tell you, that is the breeding ground for anxiety. That is the breeding ground for depression. There's a reason to be depressed because we're not doing what we were supposed to be doing. It was never meant to be like this. Faith was never meant to be boring. Faith was never meant to stay inside of these four walls. And my fear is that the Christian church would get to a point like this story where we do so little with our faith that God actually uses something to move us. That he has to wake us up with something as devastating or as tragic as being faith with the decision between our faith in our life and my challenge to us would be this as a church let's be the type of people that when confronted with the choice between comfort and between boldly facing what's in front of us that we do what this bible verse says read with me philippians 4 5 to 7 it says the lord is near do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Then listen to what will happen. The peace of God. The peace that doesn't make sense. That transcends all understanding. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is how you have old school faith. You decide ahead of time. I get to be comfortable either one of two times. It's just like with your body, right? If I wake up and I hit that snooze button every day, I'm going to be comfortable now. Chances are I will have health implications down the line that make me not so comfortable later. The same thing is true with faith. Christianity is not some sadistic group of people who say, we just want to be miserable all the time. No, we just choose to be comfortable on the right side of eternity. See, I can be comfortable now and spend eternity apart from Christ or spend eternity... Maybe not having fulfilled what God put me for. Or I can do what I need to do now with the little bit of time that I have so that I hear well done, good and faithful servant. And I can spend the rest of my days, the Bible says, in peace next to my creator. Do you see the difference? View comfort correctly. Comfort is not evil. But comfort is a distraction here and now. 
And oftentimes we're faced with a choice. Do what God has called us to do or stay comfortable. I want to read to you this Bible verse in 2 Corinthians. The very beginning, Paul, again, man, he does not let us out of it. It's all these Bible authors. They sound the same. He says this, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles. In other words, you don't get comfort from the situation. You get comfort in spite of the situation. And he says he comforts us so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we receive from ourselves. Remember when I said our faithfulness will affect those around us so that they might be comforted to see, man, somebody went through what I went through and came out on the other side and stayed faithful to Christ. It says, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you endurance through the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is firm because we know just as you share in our sufferings, you share in our comfort. View comfort correctly. Comfort is not evil, but the source of comfort is the significance. The source is not going to be what's going on around me. I'm going to push through because I know that's what I've been put here for. And then I'm going to rely wholly and completely on God. Which takes me to my last point. What does that look like? What does it look like externally to believe and live this way internally? You do good consistently. Peter wraps up this chapter of the Bible in verse 19. He says this, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to continue to do good. To continue to do good. In other words, don't be this Christian. Woe is me. Everything sucks right now. I can't even move. It's like when you know somebody in your family that's sick and like they are like going to ham it up for as long as they can, right? Oh, I can't get out of bed. Can you give me that water? It's six inches away, but I need you to get it for me. Peter says, don't be that type of Christian. Don't be the type of Christian that makes a big deal when you suffer. Instead, stay consistent. Keep intact the character that God has placed inside of you. Church, if you don't know the character that God has placed inside of us, we believe here at Journey is that everywhere we go, we are a blessing and not a burden. That we are contributors and not consumers. We are aggressive. We are not apathetic. And we are all of those things, especially when we're going through trials and persecution. Especially when things get difficult. It might feel like a trash moment to me, but there is opportunity for my faith to be what it was supposed to be. There is opportunity to do good. And so people will say, well, what do I do when everything around me feels like it's falling apart and I feel like I have no control over anything? Control what you have control over. What do I have control over? Do good consistently. Find somebody to bless and bless them. Find somewhere to serve in church and serve. If you need extra grace from God, serve every week. Do, do good consistently. That's how you develop old school faith. The type of faith that can't be moved. It's not the type of faith that's perfect. It's the type of faith that wholly relies on the one source and the one thing that can get them through. And that is Jesus Christ. Church at all of our campuses right now, would you do me a favor? Would you just close your eyes? Slightly bow your heads. 
maybe you're listening to me today and and if you're honest you've kind of been thinking man i wish i could have faith like that in fact maybe if you're truthful you would say i wish i could believe in god like that i wish i had faith like you i feel like i want to believe in god i just i can't i don't have all the answers i don't understand everything I have good news for you this morning, and I hope it does good to your soul. And I know that it did for me. That to have faith in Jesus does not require that I have all the answers. In fact, logically, it doesn't even make sense. I am a finite being, small human with a start and an end. And if there is a good and a perfect God, and if he is eternal, then how in the world would I understand everything about him anyways? That we do not need to have all the answers to have faith in Christ. The Bible says what it takes is to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. Do you know what believing takes? Believing takes faith. The Bible says that faith is hope for what we do not understand and hope for what we do not see. And in Hebrews, the Bible says that without faith, we cannot please God. So if I had all the answers, I couldn't please him anyways. Because that's not what he's asking for. He has designed it in such a way so that in order for us to have a relationship with him, it's going to take a leap of faith. And even though I believe all the evidence points towards a man named Jesus, I still live in faith. At the end of the day, my entire life is based on faith. What do I have faith in? I have faith in that I'm not a good person inherently. I have faith in that if there is a good and a perfect God, I don't deserve to have anything to do with him. He should want to be far away from me. I have faith that I've made mistakes. I have faith that those mistakes, that they separate me from God. And I have faith that God had a backup plan. His name was Jesus, and he came and he walked on this earth, and he lived in my place. He lived a perfect life. I know given a thousand lifetimes, I could never have done that. His 12 best friends have nothing bad to say about him. My two closest friends would have plenty to say about me. At the end of his life, even the person who puts him on trial for the Roman government washes his hands in a bowl of water and says, he's done nothing wrong. His blood is not on my hands. I have faith that when Jesus walked down that path to be crucified, that he knew what he was doing. I have faith that when he was hung on a cross, that there was grace still in his heart. I have faith that when he breathed his last and said, it is finished, that it was finished, that the work was done, that I didn't have to get to God anymore, that I could hide in the shadow of his grace now, that he took my place. And I have faith that if I will believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said he did, that I would be saved. That when I breathe my last on this earth, I don't have to wonder where I'm going to go. I don't have to wonder what's going to happen. I know that I will be met with my creator and I'll spend eternity with him. That while it might feel uncomfortable now, that the promise is eternal comfort in the presence of God. And what we do at Journey Church is we give you the same opportunity that we were given when we walked through these doors. The opportunity 
to make Jesus real in our lives, the opportunity to respond to him. And so I'm going to make it really simple at all of our campuses for you. If you're here and you would say, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I don't care who's sitting next to me. Their opinion is not going to matter in eternity. This is a decision for me and for me alone. And if you would say, I need to follow Jesus, I'm going to give you one simple but very bold step. And that is going to be to place your hand up high in the air right now in a room that you've maybe never been in before with people that you don't know. A bold step of faith to say, Jesus, I'm reaching out to you. I need to give you my life. I don't have all the answers and I don't need them. I give you my life today. And so right now, people are already beginning to respond at all of our campuses. Would you just place your hand in the air if you would say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need to follow you. I give you my life. I don't know what it means, but I know that I need you. In Plymouth Meeting, there's someone that's raised their hand. Here in Phoenixville, someone has raised their hand. In Limerick, there are four people responding to the gospel. Come on, church. Is there anybody else? Before we move forward, I'm not going to move yet. If there is somebody at one of our other campuses, if you're watching online, just let us know. We would love to pray with you. Oh, church, that's exciting right there people respond into the gospel of Jesus. Come on, let's pray right now as people to continue to respond. God, we're so grateful for what you're doing in our hearts. God, we're grateful that you're growing us, that you're maturing us, that you're not letting us stay the same, but that you are pushing us. God, we pray that our faith would not stay inside of these four walls. God, that we would have genuine old school faith that doesn't back down, that doesn't give up, that keeps going, that keeps moving. Why? Because that's what you've put us here for in the first place. And God, I pray that the number of people that have come to know you here at all of our campuses this morning, God, that it would be 10 times that and 100 times that in the future because of what you've started here and now in our hearts. God, that as we live out what you've called us to do, people wouldn't help but notice. People wouldn't help but be changed that we would point to you with the way that we live. God, we're grateful for what you're doing in our presence. God, keep moving. We pray that you would keep moving in our hearts, in your church every single week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And Journey Church, would you clap and shout amen with me this morning? Come on.